This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So listen, how's your Christmas shopping going? You haven't started yet, have you? Well, fear not. The big interview is here to help solve all all your problems. For the football fans in your life, here's three stocking fillers. Firstly, the documentary film of my book, Barca, The Making of the Greatest Team in the World, is now available everywhere on DVD and digital download. Take the Ball, Pass the Ball is the definitive story, we like to say, of the greatest football team ever assembled and features exclusive interviews with Barca's stellar cast of current and ex-players, including that geezer Lionel Messi, Xavi... Andres Iniesta, Thierry Henry, Danny Alves, Gerard Piquet, Carlos Puyol and Sergio Busquets, plus a rare exclusive contribution from Pep Guardiola himself. There, that's that one present sorted. Secondly, my old chum and fellow dandy Jonathan Northcroft has a new book out published by Backpage, these marvellous people that bring you the books, the podcasts. It's called Deadlines and Darts with Delhi, and it's Jonathan's World Cup diary from Russia last summer, and it's essential reading for the football fan in your life. Finally, check out another back page book, Football 2.0, How the World's Best Play the Modern Game by Grant Wall. Through extensive interviews with one player in every key position on and off the pitch, Grant breaks down the technical and tactical revolutions which have transformed football. So, there you have it. Take the ball, pass the ball, deadlines and darts with Delhi, football 2.0. That's not only difficult to say, it's Christmas sorted. Courtesy of your friends at the big interview. You're ho, ho, ho. Welcome. It's part two of the Q&A, trademark. Pin your ears back because from now on in, we're going to discard the cable tossing, the ice skating and the underwater basket weaving. It's football, football, football from now on. Hi Graham, Daryl Garrity here. Just want to say thanks again for a brilliant night at the Take the Ball, Pass the Ball movie in Dublin on Sunday. I'd highly recommend it to any football fan, not just a Barca fan. Uh, secondly, my question is, on that era itself, Zlatan Ibrahimovic often referred to the dressing room as schoolboys or pep schoolboys. Um, doesn't quite sit with me uh, because to have that winning mentality and that creativity on the field you have to be a little bit more than a schoolboy or a yes man. I'd um, just love to know your take on it. Thanks very much again. Keep up the great work. Daryl, hi Daryl, you're a great man. It was good to see you. Morning James. Hello James. One of the things I have to do is to, to stop this, uh, the way I answer this sending like a persecution because Slatan has gone on to emphasise the fact that he's become so successful isn't solely down to either his physique or his arrogance or his sublime technical skills. So, um, Daryl, you'll be used to this, but I'm, I'm going to answer this back to front. I, I was at uh, Manchester United's training ground a little while ago now, let's say 18, 20 months ago, I don't know, sitting down and talking to both Jesse Lingard and Marcus Rashford. And I asked them a little bit about life with Slatten. Um, now, each of them, this was off mic because you, you can't expect young kids to be talking frankly on the microphone about a guy who might take retribution. But I wasn't fishing for rubbish. I wasn't fishing for them to be um, niggling him. What I wanted to know was what kind of impact he'd had on daily life at, at Carrington. They both sort of laughed and shrugged and went like, well, they said, Slatan has said to them, if you'd seen me, when I was younger, you wouldn't have believed it and you'd have kept away from me. But they both pointed out that as, as you know, he's funny 
and um, they did unbelievable things in training that they'd never seen before. But they each of them said he's brutally disciplined, driven, intense, a good trainer, somebody who brings a seriousness to the working day. Now, as Slatin himself hinted, that necessarily wasn't the case um, for all his time at Ajax. In fact, with Mido in particular, I think there were some notorious hijinks. But I go to the point that this was him at Manchester United in an environment where he felt like the leader, where he was setting the standards, where he was showing youngsters around him with tremendous talent and grit what he thought it took to become elite and that was to their good when he came to uh, football club Barcelona relatively early on in his stay about I don't know three months in something of that nature I was given the chance of a reasonably extended interview he he was very explicit that it had been his drive to move to football club Barcelona because he wanted to be a participant. He wanted to be almost like an evangelical witness to the brand of football that had enraptured him. He he talked about uh, it was addictive to watch. It looked like the type of football that he felt he was born to play. And he said, this is the way forward, not for this season, not for him, but for the next 25 years. Teams will be playing in this manner for the next two decades. He was somebody who um, took time to answer articulately and intelligently about his passionate love for the project that Guardiola had been constructing. At that stage, if I don't miss my guess, because I think he played in 9-10. So this was season two of Guardiola. And in fact, it bears um, repeating that if you look at stats only, his goal total, which I think was in the region of 1920. And the volleyed goal, I remember him scoring in the Clasco against Real Madrid from a Dani Alves right-wing cross. And he takes it on the instep of his right foot and volleys at Pascasias for a 1-0 win. And you can't automatically say it's that win only, but it's pretty damn close because that Pep team wins the league by three points. And those three points against Real Madrid, if not the absolute killer blow to Los Blancos title hope, in the end, arithmetically, they ain't far off it. So, chapeau to Slatan. With regard to your quote of his quote, while he saw something he wanted through the window pane and pressed his nose up against the window because the candy looked sweet, in eating it, it made him vomit. He wasn't the... He wasn't a star presence in the training ground. He wasn't a star presence in the training room. I have a friend who spoke to Mourinho at the time that Slatan was leaving Inter. And Mourinho was um, full of the joys of life, saying um, I-, I wanted him moved on. He- he- Mourinho at that stage at Inter was creating something different. And it was important to regain control. Slatan wanted to be the controlling factor um in terms of if 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 the nap of the green isn't going my way i want it changed to go my way i don't want a, a boss a, a tactical coach who tells me you're in the wrong place you're standing in the lo- wrong blade of grass now Dow, you you watch take the ball pass the ball and listen if if anybody else listening hasn't seen the film and would like to then you can buy the DVD from Amazon. You can in the UK and Ireland download it from iTunes. Fine, do so if you please, but this isn't a commercial. In it, um, several players point out the fact that when Guardiola took over in summer 2008 in St Andrews, his treatment of, I know from Gerard Piquet that, you know, even though Gerard Piquet was still a relatively junior footballer, coming back to the club where he wanted to make his mark, he didn't appreciate training being stopped all the time and his shoulders being turned to say, face that way. Like, as in, you know, a movement of about 3% left or right, get your feet placed this way. Pep's an interventionist. He'll put his hands on players and say, do this, do that, shove them around. Abidal went to Joanne Laporta and said, either somebody respects me or I don't respect them. If this guy continues to speak like this to me, I want to leave this summer. Um, there were other players who I understand to be Thierry Henry initially not happy and Yaya Toure 
right from the start unimpressed about manner. Manner is the thing. Slatan Ibrahimovic couldn't bend to that, couldn't understand that, wouldn't accept it, needed to be top dog, wanted the you know, the sweet fruits of <clears throat> playing in that team, playing in that style, but didn't want to commit to the things that were the building blocks of doing so. Didn't want positional football, wanted freedom, wanted the anarchy of Slatan being able to choose to do what he wanted because, hey, that's who I am. Well, you idiot. If if you see a system and you say, I want to be part of that system and you arrive and say, well, yeah, but it's the system plus me doing my thing, then you're a clown. So he let himself down. And, and the description that you quote about other players um, being, you know, whatever, just pawns, what he mistook that for was players who understood the system and did what they were told to do because they knew they were working for a genius. Did all of them, even at that stage, year two, year three, when it, the football reached its peak, and certainly year four, by which time he was rowing with PK, he was rowing with uh, Danny Alves, um, and he was tired and, and, and burned out, Pep Guardiola. Slatan Ibrahimovic was not by any means the only footballer in that squad who found it occasionally tiresome to work for Pep Guardiola, but the others were more intelligent than him. And that's a statement I make with capital letters and underlined. They were more intelligent than him because they understood that what he was asking them to do would be the cause of them producing the football that Slatan had fallen in love with in the first place. And therefore, the Shakespearean tragedy of Slatan Ibrahimovic is that he wasn't humble enough or intelligent enough to understand where he was going wrong. Uh, Graham Neal, Tom here. Big interview social with Atletico Madrid on my mind. Uh, they haven't won it since 2014. As you know, is this the season that they crack the code? Uh, Barcelona may be distracted by the Champions League. Valverde opening his intention to try and uh, wrestle that prize back uh, after Real Madrid's dominance. But Atleti, with that squad, uh, with Costa looking lean and fit and hungry and not just for pies and donuts. Um, is this the year that they get back in the groove and win the title? Hope so. Uh, if they do, I'll be substantially richer. Uh, love to hear you say some positive things, Graham. Uh, but equally, I'll take my medicine if you think they're not good enough. Cheers. Tom's tips. Well, that's quite intimidating because I'm not sure my answer can be as well-constructed or articulate as the, as the question, which is not what this system is supposed to be producing. Listen, TL, um, let's start with medicine. I have, you know, I have different binoculars in that you're looking at Costa with the um, the part that brings the good things near and I'm looking at him with the part of the binoculars that makes the good things seem far away. I'm not enjoying Diego Costa this season at all. I don't think that medically, I don't think that his body is functioning the way that he wants it to. I think he's playing with pain. Secondly, I don't believe that his mentality is is just in that pinpoint area where it needs to be. I think that he's not swinging the lead, um, which if anybody doesn't understand, it's, a, it's a, an old-fashioned expression for somebody who's not giving everything. I, I don't think that he, as he can be, is carrying you know two, three kilos extra. I agree with you that Profe Ortega's work has meant that even when Costa has been missing matches and therefore missing training, that he's wildly out of shape and yeah we're talking at a time when he got his first league goal since February at the weekend celebrated it wildly he still is addicted to rubbing other people's noses in the mud as he has or ever has been and that's a central part of his game the aggression married to the fitness and married to the supply around him and married to his humilde his humble willingness to work for Griezmann to create space to knock other defenders over uh, to make dummy runs. All of these things um, might seem within reach. And, and we're talking in November. And therefore, you know, it's absolutely clear that one of these teams that's competing, there isn't a title winner outside Sevilla, Atleti, um, Madrid or Barca. Um, and Sevilla seem to me to be, people keep using the L word, um, the Leicester of Spain. Not this season, I don't think. Um, I don't think that they have enough resources, but that wasn't your question. Atleti can and should win the title. And were it, were it my project, I'd be saying to them, um, in 2014, we were able to win the title and come within 30 seconds of winning the Champions League and therefore it has to be a double focus. But that is not the case at the club right now. As much as they understand, and, and I, I've 
I'm speaking not from too much of a distance in that I, I managed to persuade Atleti to uh, let a friend of mine go in and, and uh, watch training there, spend uh, nearly a week with uh, Cholo and Monoborgos. And, and the impression I get is that while the league is important and they understand that it is winnable this season, both because of the situation that's going on around them, if you look at their competitors and where their preparation, where their resources, where their mindset is at, this is an opportunity. Tom, I agree with you. But I would point out that the the timing of the Metropolitano, which is a lovely stadium, inside it's an absolute lovely stadium. Outside it looks very pretty. Distance-wise from the city, not so. Travel's going to be interesting when it comes to the Champions League final in June, but it is going to be staged there. And the timing is so ironic because had this been a Champions League being staged in another country, final-wise, Atleti would have eyes on the prize and it would be the title. Because, and, and people must not forget the DNA of, it isn't simply having lost two finals to Real Madrid. It, it's the manner of each of the final defeats in that they were beaten by Munich in 1974, I think, uh, with, again, seconds remaining. Um, now, I want to get it wrong, but I think it was... Schwarzenbeck, he scored from distance, but Bayern scored from distance, past Pepe Reina's dad, a shot he should probably have saved. It goes to um, a replay and they lose their pumped. But they're within seconds of winning that final, within seconds of winning the 2014 final in um, in Lisbon, where Costa and Arda are, are either out or limp off. Um, it's, you know... It's become an ache augmented by the fact that when they lose again, it's Madrid and Milan on penalties, poor old Juan Fran, blah, blah, blah. The obsession factor, Tom, can't be discarded. And therefore, it, this isn't currently a situation. And again, it, it, over the Christmas break, as people sit and reflect and think about the actuarial possibilities, maybe they get it right. But right now, the the rabid obsession with we can, not, we can win the Champions League, we must win the Champions League, the the pain of the way these three finals in the Champions League, in the European Cup have been lost, combined with the idea that not just that somebody might win the Champions League at the Metropolitano, but it might be Madrid winning the Champions League at the Metropolitano, is just about too much for anybody involved in the project. And therefore, I think that the slight edge that you need to add to a potential title title winning squad, if they can get Godin to. I mean, they just shouldn't play him the first time he's fit. They should be getting him mentally focused because his error ratio has been gigantic. We've talked about this already. They need, I think, to add a goal scorer in the market. I think that they have any number of beautiful, creative players and they have some goals from all over the park and their ability to mix Partey and Saul and Koke and the brilliant, brilliant Rodrigo in the centre of the park allows them a huge amount of flexibility about who they play wide in the fore and midfield and, and why they play a particular footballer in either of the wide positions, either to tuck in, either to cut in or onto a shooting foot, to give width and go outside. These things, there are so many permutations and it is so exciting. And the fact that they can see Jimenez injured so often and Savage injured so often and Godin having the worst season I've ever seen from him and Juan Fran injured often and still have, uh, I think in part one we talked about, I should reach for my notes, but I didn't have any in the first place. So I think they've conceded nine times in 13 games. So that's partly to do with All Black, but it's partly to do with the fact that although they are not the same unit as 2014, and and Gabby was a massive force then, Tom, I agree with you that, that with a little bit more goal power and a little bit more focus from their captain, this is a title-winning squad and it's a title-winning season. The opportunity is gaping. But they've got, you know, apple pie and cream on one table and they've got trif- trifle and, and a cup of tea on the other table and they can't, you know, their eyes are too big for the belly. They can't decide which is the right one to, to focus on. And, and the right one to focus on is the league because if you're playing brutally well in the league, then knockout games become easier. It's a simple, you focus on the Champions League and your head is turned. The day-by-day matches where you have to travel away to Alaves or away to Sevilla or wherever it might be, away to the, at the camp now, suddenly your ability gets eroded, points get chipped away and this, and you lose a chance to win the title because 
like you say, Tom, Atleti have the chance to win this title. And look, off the back of that one, um, that reminds me that although the audio wasn't perfect on young Robert, Bob from Clyde Bank, um, he sent his audio in and asked about the sort of slavish devotion he believes that Barcelona have to the 4-3-3 formation, just as Ajax throughout their modern history have tried to play 4-3-3 and it's founded upon, I suppose, Croatian principles. And, and Bob asked whether it was feasible uh, or, or even some sort of philosophical uh, treachery to talk about Barcelona playing in a different formation. And I think that it reminded me of, of Bob's question uh, because what we were talking about there from Tom is a, is a team at Leti that are pretty slavishly devoted to formats of 4-4-2. It's the way in which Cholo Simeone believes that he can most get uh, pressure in midfield. And Barcelona's 4-3-3 devotion, Bob, is fascinating this season in that I, I genuinely think it's like um, if you drive a tractor, you wouldn't take it to Le Mans and imagine that you're going to win. And if you drive some sort of Formula 1 or Formula 3 car, you wouldn't tow the hay around the, the winter fields in a farm. And effectively, if you want to play 4-3-3 brilliantly and make it effective, not just entertaining, then it's vital that you groom, or much more difficultly, uh, buy footballers who understand uh, positional football and understand what the reason for having um, two wide men in a front three is, um, how you must press if you're playing a front three, in the midfield so that you're not overwhelmed how you must keep the ball uh, w what that um, implies in terms of keeping the ball isn't just about um, passing it's about how quickly you can win it back um, positionally uh, what do the full backs do what does the centre half do what, do the, what does the nominal central striker do if you lose the ball and you have to retrench and you, you, you don't want to be completely overwhelmed and leave um, your back line, which is often a back line of two, um, exposed. The the complexities of four three three football, um, Bob, are, are are something that Barcelona is not currently, in my opinion, uh, built to withstand. The the really, I, I always reach for this sort of comparison and never quite get it right. But when I was young, people talked about, you know, when I was young, a lot of people around me were. Um, you know, folks from the country, folks who are practical, folks who knew how to build things, make things. And the idea was that if you have a table with one wobbly leg, you don't start sawing off little millimetres off each of the other three legs to try and make it even, you replace the leg. Otherwise, you'll never get it right. The, the point is, if you try to make millimetrical adjustments to even out something that's patently wrong somewhere else, you will never reach perfection. You just won't replace what's wrong. And... Right now, you've got a, a table with a wobbly leg. Barcelona have a group of players in Messi, Busquets, Piquet at least, plus Sergio Roberto, who inherently understand what the idea of possession football in 4-3-3 is all about. But the rest of the team are constructed and, and think entirely differently. And that's because the board at Football Club Barcelona really couldn't get a stuff about 4-3-3. The board at Football Club Barcelona couldn't really give a stuff and haven't since Sandro Rossi um, unfortunately won the elections in 2010 by a landslide. I have to say the voters liked the kind of um, pap that he was selling them. The idea of Croy football under Rossi was, was spat upon and Bartomeu, although he's made peace with the Cruyff family and made peace with Jordi Cruyff individually, Jordi Cruyff didn't want to go and work for him, didn't want to be his director of football because he knows that there is absolutely no possibility that this board will believe in the things that make you uh, train the young footballers in the academy properly, that make you sign a coach that has got a Cruyffian idea, that um, strictly adheres to a football director and instead of Pep Seguro, who they've got right now, who would who is exactly like Rosé wanted in 2000 and Christmas, January 2003, when he wanted Frank Reichard sacked. And Rosé told the rest of the board, it's ridiculous, the only way forward now is Scolari football, Chelsea football, a team full of six-foot-two footballers who are fast and strong and jump high. And had he had his way, 
then you know no decos no no messies no iniestas there wouldn't have been the power of football you saw at football club barcelona in 2005-6 when they won the league and they won the champions league there wouldn't have been a pep guardiola appointment there wouldn't have been the 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 blend of football that caused us to to write the book um barcelona making us the greatest team in the world or film take the ball past the ball all of that would have been choked at birth by rosé because of the football he wanted, Rosé's chum is Bartomeu, who's the current president. Bartomeu has got a football director in Pep Segura who still believes those concepts that were that were mind-numbingly, knuckle-draggingly stupid in 2003. So, Bob, um, 4-3-3 is a concept that's held dearly. It's like the king over the water. Will you know, come back again if you know the song. Um, yeah, Flora McDonald hasn't quite spirited 4-3-3 away, but it's definitely in exile. And um, yeah, will you know, come back again. That would be nice to see footballers and uh, a football regime which plans for 4-3-3 and executes it properly rather than just dreams about it. And, and currently, what Valverde did last season, Bob, when he played predominantly 90% of the time four in midfield, including Paulinho, uh, is a way to cope with the fact that when Barcelona play a good side, a clever side, a passing side, an athletic side, counter-attacking side, and Barcelona play 4-3-3, their midfield is overexposed. Sergio Busquets it has a magnifying glass put on the things that he can't do particularly well, <laughs> in 17, 20-metre sprints to recuperate the ball, compared to the things that he can do well. He is still as brilliant technically in terms of football intelligence, in terms of experience, in terms of passing, he's still as brilliant in all the things that made him great. But with passing, here's a guy who was never particularly rapid. If the ball is lost around him, he's left redundant because he is not that catch the guy, um, mop the guy up um, type of player. And therefore, it is if Barcelona want to be competitive this season because they no longer keep the ball in the same way, it's imperative that they only play 4-3-3 on the occasions when they're facing opponents who, who do not have the, the capability or the ability to, 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 to counter-attack and exploit it. So at that point, I say thank you to Daryl, Thomas and Robert. And um, as James Brown would say, let's take it to the break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, Graham, Neil, and everyone at Backpage. It's Taylor here from Shenzhen, China. I just want to say I watched uh, Take the Ball, Pass the Ball last night and absolutely loved it. Um, I thought the way it was broken down into similar chapters like the book was amazing. And seeing Xavi play around with the cups and the, the little snacks he had was, was just brilliant. What a manager he'll make. Um, so my question for you guys for the Q&A um, is about what young coaches are impressing you in La Liga at the moment? Uh, I've not been able to watch too much of it, so I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on uh, what coaches you feel are up and coming and who's kind of making some waves in Spain at the moment. Thanks for all the hard work, guys, and look forward to the Q&A. Well, ni hao, uh, Taylor, in Shenzhen, China. Um, absolutely delighted that you managed to watch the film. I'm not quite sure how, um, but maybe maybe somebody in Europe saw it and came over and visited you and did interpretive dance and mime. Um, I don't know, but I'm really pleased that you did see it. It's an interesting question that, um, you know, if you look at the way in which Valverde is doing, if you look at the way in which, although Kiki Setien would like to be further away from uh, the bottom half of the table and, and, and sort of tripped up um, away at Villarreal after his brilliant win at the Camp Nou, I think you're you're seeing a number of coaches who are in that middle part of their career where you're seeing the benefit of huge amounts of um, accumulated experience. And maybe it's the case that La Liga is doing okay in terms of promoting young coaches, but might potentially 
do better in, in the leading clubs. Let's let's take Solari and put him to one side for the moment, Taylor, because while I think that Santi Solari did some very, very intelligent things immediately after his defeat to Abar in how he promoted uh, Llorente and put him in the midfield, and while I believe that Solari is a very clever guy who can manage upwards to the president and downwards to the squad or beside him to the squad in the modern terminology. How good a coach he is at this level, we've yet to see. I'm optimistic, but that's a learning process. The obvious answers, I suppose, uh, would be, well, let's pick on uh, Asigaritano, who has got his big chance this season at La Real. And it's fascinating in that what he did with Leganes was extraordinary, not just keeping them up, but knocking Real Madrid out of the cup and taking Leganes to what I think was an agonising semi-final defeat um, to Sevilla, if my memory is correct, because I didn't know the question was coming out, but I think that's true. Garitano at La Real, if you watch what he's trying to do, if you listen to what he's saying, listen to what the players are saying about him, he's giving La Real exactly what they lacked in that for a number of years since they came up there has been little pockets of talent and there have been footballers who are attractive on the ball but they've been weak they've been disorganized they've been easy to counterpunch they've looked as if they're a team which is consistently too open and if a pass is picked off they're going to be broken against and Gartano has has fought something about if you listen to the players talking in the, in the first instance they're like, well, yeah, it's all very well coming here with a new idea and that, but this takes time and we've got a certain way of, oh, <laughs> well, that changed. It took a couple of months. And I'm not saying that Lariel are going to win the cup or finish in the Champions League positions, but what I'm witness, what I believe I'm witnessing is a guy who isn't simply extremely tactically shrewd, and I think he proved that before, but is turning out to be somebody who can man-manage and, and turn a squad's ideas round I think that's very attractive and very important. So I'm enjoying watching Garitano. I think if you go to Ruby, um, it, it, in the very first Q&A that we did, somebody said, Taylor, was it you? Somebody, somebody said, who's the revelation team? And I said, I think Espanol, partly because it was my uh, contention that a team which was disenchanted with its coach, a coach who was disenchanted with its with his bosses, as was the case with Kiki Sanchez Flores last season, yet managed to be the only team in La Liga that beat Atleti, beat Barcelona and beat Real Madrid across various competitions. That told you that there was much more talent in the Espanyol squad than the quality of football and the regularity of results was was evidencing. More, it was very clear that if the younger players like Roca, like Hermoso, like um, Lopez were given their head, um, I didn't see the, I didn't quite see the way that Granero would become so important. I didn't quite see the way that Baptistao would become a little bit more regular. I, I'm delighted that Ruby has re-promoted the pensioner um, and that Sergio Garcia is a wonderful footballer, absolutely joyous to watch. And and this Indian summer is, is fantastic. I, I, it wasn't necessarily the case that... Um, I saw again something of an India summer for Diego Lopez coming and go. But all in all, what Ruby has done is number one, proven that what we saw from him last season in promotion is a joy in football, a joy in football played in a passing, attractive, offensive way. I sat recently during the last international break listening to him on a podium, speaking for about an hour and a half with Eusebio and with um, Valverde. And the, the, it was organised by friends of Johan Cruyff. Quite a big audience, maybe 250, 300 people. And um, the, the the concept was for them to talk about their careers in the light of what the two of them, Eusebio and Valverde, learned while being coached from Johan Cruyff. And what Ruby, a guy who's playing a brand of football that would be Cruyff recognisable, what founded his principles, why he believes in a certain way. And I have to tell you, honestly, of the three men, the guy who, without touting for the job, painted as the next Barca coach in the ideal situation that there were players at Football Club Barcelona who'd been brought up through the academy playing a 4-3-3 way and knew how to pass the ball and play positional football. It, it was Ruby, and by a distance. His concepts are the ones that I like. He's taken a squad of players 
who weren't necessarily brought up to be um, playing in the way that they are right now. And therefore, it's not been the natural fit that Pep found at Barcelona when he inherited um, Busquets and Puyol and Messi and whoever else. Valdez was was trained in that system. Uh, PK came back and had been trained in that system. So Ruby's achievements in terms of giving us, not, not only giving Espanyol their highest uh, table performance for many, many seasons, but playing a brand of football that it's really worth watching, then I take my hat off to that. There's a slight age difference, slight age difference when you come to Machin, but if you look at the way in which he uh, imposed a, a formation, which was a strict three at the back, and then four in midfield minimum, plus whether you want to call it three strikers or one plus two, one in behind Sarabia and um, plus two, and began well in Europe and then was absolutely, um, they were outworked and out, outcompeted in the derby against uh, Betis, which they lost 1-0 with 10 men, and then really humiliated, I mean really made to look like children against Getafe at home in the 2-0 defeat, that he takes that situation and the crowd baying for his sacking there and then, and I don't know whether that was game three or four of the season, despite having had a brilliant qualification campaign in Europe, scoring bundles of goals and taking them into the Europa League. It's for him to take that situation and readjust and understand that Rocky Mesa can't play the brand of football that he wanted from in the position he was asking him to play, to associate Benega and Mudo Vasquez, to find a better position for Sarabia, which is not on the wing. It's it's freedom if he's on the wing to come in and play in the 10 role behind the strikers or indeed to, to, to pitch in there and play in there. To, to have started off believing that Vissam Banyeda is not the right football for him, see him in training, change his mind, put him in, pair him with Silva, um, to, to cope with the absence of Escudero, who's a vital wing-back in the Machine system, to do all that and to replicate the quality of football that he showed at Girona, where they became the highest finishing promoted side in the history of La Liga, then to, to me again, Machine stands out, stands out, and also it's a brand of football that I like watching. It's not the same as Ruby's, but it is clear, it's intelligent, it's consistent, and best of all, he seems able to communicate it to his, his players. Now, we could go on. Sergio, I think, is doing a fine job, and if you look at Fidel's performance, once they started scoring goals, it's been really, really exciting. There are more, but I've been told to try and keep my answers down to a day. Um, so therefore, Taylor, I'm going to leave my answer there, knowing that I didn't surprise you in any way, but I've told you what I believe, and maybe that's my role. So a complete um, change, not just from um, China, but in terms of the type of comparison being made by Richard Cook, who, like Taylor, is a regular contributor. Hello again, Richard. And Richard says he's been... Um, I've been tracking Real Madrid's progress against Manchester United's progress in England. After 13 league games, United have one more point, but are far, far further away from the pace at the top of the league than Madrid are. What does that say about La Liga this year? Is it so much more competitive than the Premier League or are Madrid struggling so badly? Uh, Richard, first of all, like even when you sent the question compared to today, I don't know if there's a gap at all, um, but everybody should be sort of aware without having to look it up themselves that there's about a goal difference and about a point difference between them. Real Madrid, without reading um, United stats out, Real Madrid have played 13, won 6, drawn 2, lost 5, they scored 20, conceded 19. The goal difference is therefore obviously one and their points are 20. And I think the slight difference is that maybe United, whatever position they occupy in the league, have got um, a draw uh, greater to their credit than, than Real Madrid. You have to take into the answer to this question, Richard, what the feeling around Manchester United is. Um, because you're talking, the question alludes to statistics and performance and distance from the top of the league. I think that if you look at um, Manchester United, there was an, an impression that they were supposed to be more competitive this season, that Jose Mourinho was, in theory, supposed to be building up ahead of steam, that while I don't think many people expected United to win the title um, this season, they know that whether you enjoy or don't enjoy Jose Mourinho's brand of football, the marker for him from both his direct boss and the owners is that he absolutely assure Champions League football and makes them competitive. The lost dream is that United are daring and excited and thrilling and that theatre of dreams isn't the theatre of snooze. And if you look at Real Madrid, 
then while some of those same concepts apply to the same degree, maybe even double, the fact is that there is a, a, there is a sort of gentle um, arms folded around the stomach, large lunch, belt popping, gentle snooze feel going on just about everywhere because there have been many people who have been sated, sated by... Um, the constant run of Champions League success, sated by the Zidane era, which won a domestic title. And I think, if I don't mistake myself, that when Zidane won the title in the Champions League, it was the first time they'd been champions of country and um, continent since something like, <laughs> something in the region of 1966 or 67, must have been 65, probably 65. So the middle 60s is what I'm going to say. So, Real Madrid, the, the greatest European performing club by some distance ever, hadn't achieved. And therefore, if you look at the, the reception to the relative performances now and what the other teams around them have been able to do based upon the fact that these behemoth, two behemoths of European football are each underperforming to a certain degree, then the, the, the first thing you, you need to point out is that in England there is a level of excellence going on at Manchester City which is potentially devastating to everybody around them in that there's never been a club with more financial resources in the history of the game. There has been a sense of momentum in that they won titles, I think, certainly under Mancini and I think under Pellegrini, but they certainly won a couple of titles. Um, they are um, they are certainly... And Pep is a title holder now coming into this which must be I guess his third season the squad has been lovingly assembled, there are academy players coming through and they're playing a brand of football and setting historical records which is beginning to look thematically similar to what he did at Barcelona although not identical because he doesn't have Leo Messi and therefore how close a United side performing in this manner and failing to kill off games and failing to score sufficiently and conceding far more goals than a side with their resources should be conceding. We'll leave, we'll park aside whether um, his managing director managed to get him the defenders that he wanted or not, or why it was that he was thrashing around trying to sign Diego Godin on the closing days of the market. The, the long and short of it is, it's patently clear that um, United are misfiring up front, uh, conceding far too many goals, and they aren't just um, confronted by a, a rebuilt and exciting Chelsea, a well-constructed and momentum-driven Spurs, an exceptionally interesting and hard-to-defeat Liverpool and an outright exceptional Manchester City. United aren't really aren't well-constructed from top to bottom at the club, either the owner's point of view, the way in which um, Ed Woodward runs the club on their behalf, and even the way that Mourinho is performing as a man-manager or as a coach. And therefore, if you contrast that across to uh, La Liga, what is absolutely fundamentally clear is that there are, there's a, something of a perfect storm going on at the moment in that La Liga's clubs are now, more than in recent years, uh, predicated around having world stars rather than being driven by guys they've brought through from their academy. If that's the case, then predominantly your world stars will star on the world stage. And in a World Cup season many of your footballers will be playing for the umpteenth time in however many years a long summer season of football instead of resting. The majority of the footballers who both, I don't know, Barca, Atleti, Real Madrid rely upon have had the last four or five seasons where they, they don't get a lot of rest and it accumulates. And in this instance, some of the things that have afflicted Atleti not being able to tuck teams away is the fact that while Griezmann is working as hard as ever and his assist count is quite good, his goal scoring should, could and should be a great deal higher. If you look at the way in which perhaps Lucas has had moments, although I value him highly and I rate him as a very, very good defender, he's had moments this season when it does look as if he's been involved you know, in, in too much football and he's getting used to the idea of what's it like to have a draining season at Atleti and then a, a World Cup winning season with France. You could say the same with Rakitic or Modric, certainly Varane. We're in a season where the leading clubs in Spain 
have had afflictions of injury, lack of form. Real Madrid are definitely sated by a period of success where subconsciously several players have gone to sleep. The Football Club Barcelona um, problems are based on the fact that Valverde has been almost one hand tied behind his back um, until Usman Dembele started to turn up late for training or turn up late for match briefings. It was almost obligatory because of his cost that he had to play and so did Coutinho because between them you spent very close to 300 million euros. Close to, not exactly, but close to. And therefore the balance in Barcelona's team has been such that they've been exposed through midfield, they've been counter-attacked and they've been hauled back in games where in La Liga normally they'd have won that and their focus is, is without question. Leo Messi has set the tone, but it's true of all their players that their focus is that for once, Champions League is more important than La Liga. It doesn't mean that they're not trying. It doesn't mean that they don't want to win La Liga. But they have, without any question, got a Pavlovian response for the Champions League this season. And Leo Messi in the Gamper tournament stood out in front of, I don't know how many, seven, eighty thousand 80,000 fans and said, I'm glad to be captain. We had a great season with a double last year. But now that I've inherited this armband from two greats, Iniesta and Xavi... My my goal is to bring you back that this beautiful historic trophy with the big ears. Now, that tries to tell you a little bit about the fact that they've been until this weekend La Liga leaders vaulted by Sevilla, but there 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 is a tiny shift of focus towards winning in Europe, and all of these things have combined at a time when Roma did have been, I mean, in, in certain games, utterly atrocious, unrecognisable, and the. Gestation is, gestation is the management of the of the project has shown, um, I think, Richard, that Real Madrid. If you're making a comparison with Manchester United, that, that to me is telling, is is they both lack a brilliant director of football. Um, in at United, you've got hands off owners who simply want to make sure that the profits are turning because they take a they take their dividend off that. In the case of Florentino Perez, what he wants to see is the club run his way. He wants it as a fiefdom. And those who are happy with the idea of boom and bust can can stand up and say, well, he's right. Three straight Champions League um, titles. I don't know how many since he, he took over. Um, I, maybe that makes it five Champions League, if I don't miscount, since in, in, his, in his two spells as, um, as president. And therefore, what they've done is they've run into a wall. Roma did have run into a wall where he said, I want to buy young players. I want to build from um, from scratch. I, I want to save money for the, not go mad in the transfer market. I want to save money for the new stadium. I want to save money for the possibility of buying Neymar. And therefore, you know, we'll add uh, young players to, to the young players we, we bought last season. We won't buy a striker to replace Cristiano Ronaldo until the very last day of the market when Mariano's about to join Sevilla and we'll buy him instead even though Florentino Perez had told uh, Aulas at Lyon, well no, Mariano isn't a player for us, he's not good enough. And then 10 days later, because there's nobody less, he changes his mind and buys him. Real Madrid are going through a, a, a perfect storm, gigantic injuries, the shock of Zidane leaving and there's no director of football so there's no succession plan. Lopetegui's inheritance of the mantle goes completely wrong. There are players who are wildly out of form because either they just don't know what's hit them, which is the aftermath of winning a World Cup, or they've relaxed their standards for some months, Sergio Ramos. No Cristiano Ronaldo. The fact that some of the new players either haven't been trusted or haven't integrated properly yet. And the fact that just as he's playing very well, Isco gets an appendix, an emergency operate. The list is so long. The list is... Real Madrid's season has been far more difficult and has got far more root causes than Manchester United's does. And therefore, it's telling on Manchester United that even in a club where there isn't a proper football direction other than Florentino Perez, and even at a club where Real Madrid have had to sat the manager and have an historically bad start to the season, they're performing as well as Manchester United are. And if people don't see that and don't see the flaw in the way that the club is constructed in football terms at Old Trafford and don't see the fact that Jose Mourinho is the wrong manager to be restoring good times, then good luck. Enjoy your football. Graham, it's Steve from Bet365. Can you tell me which Aberdeen goal you have celebrated the most? <laughs> uh, boing, boing, Steve. Boing, boing. Um, God, you do pop up in the strangest of places. Which Aberdeen goal have I celebrated the most? Uh, I think it... The, the obvious answer should be Johnny Hewitt winning 
the Cupman's Cup in Gothenburg for the Mighty Dandies against Roman in 1983. But because I'm a slightly erratic, idiosyncratic person, I'd say that in 1982, and the the founding stone for that uh, brilliant European domination uh, was, was set and laid, it was the Scottish Cup final against Rangers at Hamden. Uh, we would eventually win 4-1, but it was one of those ones where, despite the, the fact that for some time we'd been beating Rangers relatively regularly, while Alex Ferguson had been in charge of our mighty team, and the late Neil Cooper, um, my friend, my ex-schoolmate, um, was coming through the ranks and making millions for Sun In um, that you spray into your curly hair and it goes all blonde. God rest you, Tatty Cooper. We went down to Hamden that day, having watched the sort of hammer horror film Late Night Friday, Night of the Builder, Tequila Sunrises, where the pints of Tequila Sunrise were, were the thing then. Early, very early, 6am bus journey down to Glasgow. John McDonald scores earlier on. The submarine, we used to call him because of his dives. Big Scooby at McLeish equalises. One woman with a gorgeous curling goal that Sedan um, would have been proud of and probably tried to copy it. it was struck from the same blade of grass as Zidane would subsequently score his um, 2003 Champions League winning goal at any rate it's extra time and I seem to remember we scored very promptly in extra time and we scored into the Aberdeen end I'm fairly sure that Alec Miller world champion swearer and future <laughs> Aberdeen <laughs> managed not, not a particularly exciting time but future Alec Miller falls over McGee scores the 2-1 goal um, I'm pretty sure Strachan scores a 3-1 and Tatty gets the 4-1. And at 2-1, I absolutely, and I can't deny that, I had a little <clears throat> flask of, a uh, golf flask of whiskey um, in, in my hipster behind the goal. And when the second goal went in, I absolutely knew we were going to win. And I danced down the aisle, uh, or the, the terracing, into the aisle, and there was a female cop and reader. I married her. <laughs> and it was probably that one. The, the day that we went 2-1 up in an eventual 4-1 win against Rangers in the Scottish Cup final of 1982. God, it was great. Please let it happen again soon. So this has been, to quote the mighty Vinnie Jones, emotional. Nobody's head or hands has been jammed in a car door and we're all the better for that. If there's any way we can improve this in the future, it's by continuing the inclusion of Bob from Clyde Banks, Sam Matterface from Stamford Bridge, and Boing Boing Steve Freeth. But Steve, you must be in China for Taylor next time. And Bob, I think probably you at Stamford Bridge, and Sam Matterface, you in Clyde Bank. Thanks to everybody. Um, almost without exception, your familiar names and familiar voices, and it's a goddamn thrill working with you. Love and peace. Thank you for joining us for season 2018-19. We've got huge creative plans for the months ahead, but we do need your help to make them happen. Please go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter and become a socio, become a paying member and get an extra big interview every month plus loads of bonus content. Last season, socios listened to nine exclusive big interviews including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, Roberto Di Matteo and loads of me talking about football. The Premier League, the Champions League, Spanish football. I'm sure they enjoyed it and you will too. Support us, join us. Thank you.